Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able, to do, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Thank you very much, Richard. That passage is so deep. That could easily be a 24-point sermon. Anybody in favor of 24 points? Yeah, that could go down to three points. For us, uh, we are actually starting a brand new uh, sermon series, as has been mentioned. It is on the book of Second Peter. We're going through it verse by verse, so that we don't miss anything that God would have to share with us and instruct us. With the title of the series is "God's Grace Transforms," and for myself, really, this book has been so pivotal and so helpful for me and my spiritual journey, helping me understand uh, what it is to trust Jesus for actual nitty-gritty real-life change and transformation. You know, I'm a real piece of work, as all of you probably know, or many of you know, Um, and uh, it it just has opened my eyes um, to to see that actual change is possible. It's not this far-away, unreachable thing. Actual change is possible through faith in Christ. In fact, he's all about change. Um, change is a great way to summarize what the Christian life is. 
Uh, but anyhow, let me uh, talk about this idea of change. And very often, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, uh, a very common analogy that's used to uh, demonstrate change is that of the butterfly. It's a little cheesy, but I'm just going to leverage the cheesy, okay? And let's talk about butterflies uh, for a little bit here. They're, they're actually quite the creatures. And as it turns out, butterflies begin life as a slimy, tiny little egg, okay? Pretty, pretty ugly, pretty slimy. And then that egg eventually over time hatches into uh, kind of an ugly caterpillar. They're, they're, they tend to be fat and multi-legged, and they're, they eat an insane amount of food and leaves. They eat everything. They can eat your tree away. It's amazing. And then once it eats whatever amount that it needed to eat, it, it happens. It finally reaches that point where it constructs for itself in and around its body uh, something that is called a, a cocoon. And this cocoon is a safe, protected space. The outside of it is sort of hard like a shell or a nut. And inside this cocoon, that caterpillar goes to sleep. And that sounds good to me. It's nice to have a nap once in a while, isn't it? And while it's having that nap inside its cocoon, that caterpillar is, might be sleeping, but there's significant biological changes going on within that, 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 that fat being. Um, and over a period of time, the, the cocoon finally cracks open. And this creature slowly squeezes its way out of this cocoon and crawls out. And eventually, it, it is still sort of in that state of being compressed, but it kind of decompresses and starts to spread out its brand new transformed wings. And then it starts to flap these wings. I don't know, do they flap? They just kind of, I don't know what they do. But anyhow, it starts to fly. It starts to, to glide elegantly and randomly throughout the air as this new, amazing, transformed, completely changed butterfly until it runs into and flies into the way of this Mack truck, at which point it kind of goes splat, okay? Now, let's, let's edit out that last part, pretend that, that splat didn't happen. Bottom line, I, I love to hijack my own analogies. But anyhow, bottom line is, it's amazing the, the amount, the, the substantial, uh, tremendous amount of change that this butterfly and creature goes from this tiny, slimy egg to this fat caterpillar to this beautiful uh, butterfly. Basically, it becomes and has become unrecognizable. Like there's no similarity to what it is now as this glorious creature to what it was formerly. Unrecognizable almost in every way. It is so much more beautiful at this point. Here's my point. Over time, Christians are supposed to go undergo that kind of change within. Um, when you're connected to Jesus by faith, and when you're connected to your local church family, that's why we're here is to help each other change, by the way, and transform. That's a big purpose for the church. But when you're connected to Jesus, connected to your local church family, over time, incrementally, sometimes it's five steps forward, ten back, three forward, two back, whatever. But over time, incrementally, this is kind of a description, an analogy of our Christian lives, or at least what it should become. All right? In fact, when you compare... Uh, the, the, the person that you were on the day of your conversion or your, the day of your baptism, whatever that was, and to who you are now, unrecognizable, kind of like between that egg and that butterfly. You are not even the same person at all. Totally different outlook, totally different uh, speech, okay? You've gotten rid of the trucker mouth, largely. Different motivations, different character within, unrecognizable. At least this is God's intent. This is how it's supposed to work, you see. 
But sometimes we struggle to change. You and I battle this sinful remaining desires within, and it's problematic. And in fact, in some cases, have you met that Christian? Uh, this Christian, they've been a Christian for years, for decades, and this is the best I could come up with for an image. The church curmudgeon, it's a Twitter thing. It's, he's, it's all humor-based. But anyhow, been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, and there's pretty much no change at all in that Christian. And my intent in mentioning that is not to guilt trip you into change and transformation. It's just a heads up. This, I mean, not this guy, but this could be you. It could, you don't want to be this unchanged Christian. Don't settle for less than the change that God intends for you and for any and every Christian, don't settle for less. Don't settle for a life of non-change. Okay, let's, let's get into, or before I get into today's passage, you know, we're getting into this new book of the Bible, and usually what I do is give you some quick background to the book that we're looking at, and that is Second Peter. And let me just run through this fairly quickly. Uh, any guesses as to who wrote the book of Second Peter? Anybody want to throw it out there? Peter, you're right, it is the Apostle Peter. And just testing you guys, and who was Peter? Well, he was uh, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and he was kind of seen as the de facto lead apostle or disciple amongst the 12. This guy, and this might be you, and if you're, this is not me, I don't think at least, uh, but a force of nature. If you have that personality, it can be a blessing and a curse in some ways. But Peter was this force of nature, impulsive and expressive and charismatic and quick to speak, quick to take action, man of action. Problem is, being quick to speak and quick to take action can get you into trouble, and it got Peter into sinful trouble from time to time, which is actually encouraging because, well, we all get into sinful trouble from time to time, even as Christians. But by the time Peter writes Second Peter, well, at this stage in his life, he is much older, seems to be much wiser, a much changed man than how he began as a disciple of Jesus. Sadly, though, at the time of writing for Second Peter, he's in prison just like Paul was likely in Rome, in ancient Rome, when Paul wrote Philippians, that was the last book that we looked at. So Peter is also likely in Rome, in prison, and about to be killed and martyred for his faith in Jesus and his preaching about Christ. Guess who the emperor is during this time? Nero, who is the most horrific uh, emperor for Christians, period. In fact, probably the most uh, bloodthirsty emperor out of them all. Uh, so under Nero, particularly in the, in the city of Rome, that's where the emperor lived, for you to be a Christian living in Rome at that time was a very dangerous prospect. Not only were you a convenient scapegoat for Nero to blame the fire of Rome onto you and all the Christians in that city. By the way, Christians did not start the fire of Rome. Guess who probably started it? Nero, all right? He, I mean, the guy was psychotic, man. And, but to be a Christian in that ancient city of Rome... Um, was a very difficult kind of thing. It would mean if you were a business person, it would be hard to do business in Rome. Um, it would be hard to go visit government officials and be taken seriously because they did not like you generally. So you were always at risk walking around in ancient Rome at that time of being mistreated and in some cases, like in Peter's case, for being killed for your faith in Jesus. Imagine walking around in Surrey and Langley, anywhere in Vancouver, and people finding out that you're a Christian, and like they might, they might do away with you. Like that's the kind of thing that life was like back then. And just a short time before Peter is martyred and killed for his faith, he was literally crucified upside down. By the way, 
He didn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was, out of, to honor Jesus. So he's crucified upside down. This is a painting of that. Well, he writes 2 Peter just before that happened. And he writes this letter generally to the various churches in that area and region. Now, why does he write this letter? Here's why. Well, he's about to die, so he wants to get some last words in of encouragement and exhortation. Uh, but he writes this letter for this purpose, and this is from the ESV Study Bible. Let me read this, and I think there's a quote there. Uh, Peter writes this brief final reminder of 2 Peter to the churches so that his readers will, by God's grace, live a life that is pleasing to God, a transformed life, by the way, and to, quote, combat the false teachers. So there's some bad guys trying to disrupt churches back then. Combat the false teachers who were apparently exerting pressure on these young, fledgling churches to depart from the true knowledge of Christ and get away from the gospel. Um, and so he's trying to protect them from that. There was intense persecution of the Christians, um, not only from uh, like Nero, but also these false teachers trying to dis disrupt these uh, young churches. And Peter is saying in this letter, essentially, never give up. Never give up on living for Christ. Don't give up on living a transformed life or seeking to change. Never give up a life that increasingly displays the beauty of Christ and the character of God from within. So there's some background to the book and the letter of 2 Peter. Let's move on. The, the title for today's message is straight out of our passage. And it's a phrase that goes like, partakers of the divine nature, partakers of the divine nature. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. God allows us, any and every Christian, you, if you're a Christian, he allows us the privilege of sharing in and experiencing in his nature within us, that he would allow us and give us the power to live a transformed life, a life that actually reflects aspects of the character of God in us. And we're going to examine this. Like I said, there could have been 24 points. No one wants 24 points, generally speaking. Uh, and I boil it down to just three. And the first point in your notes, if you're following along, there is an outline in your bulletin. You can fill in the blanks, all that stuff. Number one is simply seek God's comprehensive power, comprehensive power to change, to become more like Him and escape these corruptive sinful desires. I don't think corruptive is a word, uh, at least uh, Microsoft Word didn't like that word, but anyhow, I'm using it, but you know what I mean? I think you might. What this point really speaks to, there's a battle going on within you. You may have noticed this, even as a non-Christian, you probably experience a battle within, and it's like a battle of good and evil inside. There's, there's this war uh, between God's good, His divine desires within you, trying to live a life-giving, healthy uh, life, joy-filled life, and then there's also this other side, this sinful, these flesh desires that remain uh, that are in there. And the, the root and the place from which these sinful desires spring from are generally almost always rooted in pride. Pride is thinking too highly of yourself. Uh, pride is all about self. Pride is all about selfishness, me, 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 self-obsession, all I can think about is myself and what's good for me and self-interest. Pride and being self-centered in that way is extremely spiritually toxic. Very toxic. It's like being infected with something that's going to bring you down. And it will. And before we get really deep into things, I want to revisit uh, verse 3. And I think it's on the screen here. Verse 3, it's earth-shattering. It's an aha statement. And this is probably the verse that has been most impactful 
uh, for myself. And verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So anytime you see the word divine, by the way, it's speaking about God in some way. Something from God. It speaks about divine power, power from God. And the fact is, there is no one more powerful in the universe uh, than God. The Bible teaches clearly God is all-powerful. He is almighty. Nothing that God desires or wants to do is impossible for Him. No one and no thing ever stands in the way of God's perfect and holy will. He always does what He wants to do. Nothing stands in His way. And so when verse 3 here speaks about His divine power, we're not just talking about a little bit of power or a modicum of power. We are talking about a person who possesses within his grasp unlimited power. Unlimited power, that is God. And so here's what this means. In short, almighty, all-powerful God, through your faith and your trust in Jesus as a Christian, he has made his power accessible to you and to us, his church family. Why? For change. For change. For character transformation. That power is there for you to change, for me to change, for us to change. He's granted to you all things that pertain to life and health and goodness and flourishing and holiness, to all things that pertain to godliness, which is the process of becoming more like God. He's given that and made that available to you and our church family to become more and more. Who does he want you to become more like? Like him, to become more godly, like Christ. And so let me say, if you want to see lasting, actual, long-term, multi-year change in your life and your character at the heart level, it's only going to happen when you rely on, when you trust in God's power who lives within you by His Holy Spirit. Many people try to do better, try harder, and self-will themselves into some measure of change and outward change. And that can happen. You may have noticed this. You just do better, try harder, self-will myself to change. And it may, may last a little while, but very often it doesn't last long-term. That's why I love Christianity. Christianity is all about long-term, lasting change. This stuff works. The gospel works. I want to switch to a couple, for a couple of minutes. Uh, verse 3, and I don't know if it's on, it is on the screen there. Do you notice there in verse 3, yes, his divine power is granted to us, and then it says, all things. So he's given us everything that we need. And I want to focus on that phrase, all things, uh, for a second. And I want to speak to parents in the room. If you're a parent, moms and dads, have you ever said to yourself or to each other or to someone else that I will do whatever it takes to help my child succeed? Have you ever said something along those lines? I am going to do whatever it takes to help my kids succeed and do well. Therefore, I am going to give them the best possible education. I'm going to try to give them the best clothes that they need, the best food, the healthiest, most nutritional, fiber-filled food that I can. I'm going to give them the best athletics uh, programs and opportunities. I'm, I'm going to give them the best arts programs, music, dance, whatever. I am then when they're, they're graduating from high school, I'm, I want to give them the best possible post-educational opportunities. Have you ever said something along those lines that I am going to do whatever I can within my power and within my income stream, whatever my means, to help my kid succeed? You ever said that? You probably have. 
Now, why would you do this, by the way? Why would you spend all that time and effort and money for your kid? Love. It's love. Yes. You actually care about these little people. Uh, you do. I mean, they're, they're a part of you. You're a part of them. I mean, it, it's, they're, they're, these are tight-knit relationships. And, and that's our job is to provide for our kids and provide for them as well as we can. Um, and when it comes to your Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, He has given you and I and our church family all that we need, everything that we need. It's all there. It's in store, waiting for you to leverage, to take opportunity, uh, to, to just take hold of, to then live the transformed Christian life that He designed you and I to live for His glory. He gets the credit. That's how generous He is. He is the most generous Father, period, who has ever existed. Here's the thing, though. If you're anything like me, you're good at complaining. Sometimes, even about God. And have you ever said something like, uh, God, you know, help me out here. Like, I need more from you to actually live the Christian life. I need, I need a miracle or two. I need some more money. I, I, need, I need to help with this and that and the next thing. Um, I need more, more, more power. I need more resources from you so that I'll stick with you and then actually change and, and grow in my faith and become the man or the woman or the person you want me to be. So, God, you've got to step it up here. Step it up, God. Come on. Do better for me. You've got to try harder. You've got to, come on, step it up. Now, I realize you probably haven't said those kinds of words specifically to God, but have you ever felt disappointed in God? Like, oh, come on, God. What happened, God? Like, where, where are you? You know, you know try harder to, to help me live for you. Uh, help you. Try harder to help me uh, overcome sinful addiction in my life and overcome these negative emotions. Like, you've got to do better, try harder, God. And maybe there's some disappointment that God hasn't come through for you. That's how you felt. And I know I've, I've felt this way, and I still struggle to feel this way sometimes. But this verse has helped me get off my high horse. This verse has helped me realize it's all there. It's all there for the taking. He's given you and I and our church family everything that we need to live a life of godliness and to live a life of transformation and power and it's all there. It's like, it's like having a big pile of gold here, and it's all free for everyone's taking, but no one's taking it. And you're, you're broke. It's like, why wouldn't you take the gold? Don't you love those analogies on the spot? They don't work all that well, do they? But anyhow, it's kind of like that. So what I want to do now is quickly pray. Would you pray with me for a second? And I'm going to read these words of prayer, but let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us your powerful Holy Spirit who transforms us from the inside out. Thank you for giving us the Bible, your word, which in itself cuts to joints and marrow, exposes our sinful motives and ways and shows us how to change from those and shows us how to live for you. Thank you for giving us the church family from which we receive love and care and support and encouragement and accountability to live the Christian life and pursue your mission, Lord Jesus, in this city. And lastly, thank you, Father, for allowing us to become partakers of your very own nature and character, the opportunity to reflect your beauty within for your glory. Thank you for saving us from ourselves and from the sinful corruption within and without. 
In Christ we pray. Amen. That was a little different, but I realize, but just got to break into prayer now and again and then take these truths home to God in conversation. Let's move on to point number two. The next thing in your notes is this, and it's a bit long, but it's simply make every effort to supplement your faith in Jesus with his character qualities in order to become more effective and fruitful for Jesus. Now, I realize now um, when I was preparing this before the service today and reading my notes, uh, supplements. Does anybody want to admit to taking supplements? I realize there's good supplements and there's illegal supplements, but you know what I mean by supplements? It's like vitamins and stuff like that. I know for myself, I have some minor, minor arthritis, and so I have to take uh, fish oil pills, omega-3 pills, which, you know, as someone that struggles with weight, it's really hard for me to take fat pills. You know, it's like, this is not helping. It's not helping my weight issue. It might be helping the arthritis. But we take supplements. Why do we take supplements? To, to add to our health, to help our health, right? Our health sometimes needs some additional support from other areas, and this is kind of what's going on here as we add, we supplement our faith with other things, you see. And this springs out of verse 5 to 8, and let me quickly reread these, and I think it's on the screen as well. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to, there it is, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is sort of a laundry list of good character qualities. These are very biblical virtues. You'll find them in other passages in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at these qualities, they are qualities of God himself. And in short, they are simply... The basic things that are to be displayed in the life of a transformed heart in a Christian. And that happens. A Christian is transformed from the inside out when God, third member of the Trinity, he comes and he lives within you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. And then day in, day out, moment by moment, you trust him to show off his godly qualities, his own qualities in and through you in your everyday life, in your workplaces especially, in your homes. For example, so here's an analogy I'm running with, and this may or may not work, but I've, and I realize I've, I overuse some of the same analogies, and I probably have used this somewhat uh, recently, but let's talk about the person that is unhappy with how you look. Okay, you, you wake up in the morning. Does anybody look good in the morning, by the way? Yeah, that, that's the best. I didn't want to put a picture up because then someone might think they're, they're, I'm picking on them, but... So I picked a, the ugliest monkey, or ape, whatever it is, and it's really ugly. This poor guy, he wakes up in the morning, and he looks in the mirror, and he's horrified, obviously. Uh, and sometimes we wake up in the morning, we look, we look in the mirror, and we're horrified. And it's just like, oh, I don't like what I'm seeing here. I don't like the lack of hair, uh, or my, my, I don't like my hairstyle. I don't like the, the rolls uh, on my tummy. Um, I don't like my clothes. And I, I just don't like my level of fitness or my lack of fitness. It's just, I just don't like the way I look. And so what do you do? You look at yourself in the morning, you look like that, and you say, oh, I'm fed up with this. I, I'm fed up with looking less than, than what I want to look like. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to change my appearance. I'm going to go all out, all out to do a personal makeover to rescue me from looking like that. I'm going to make a new life. I'm going to make a new me. 
And here's what your plan of action might look like. You decide to hire a personal trainer. You start hitting the gym. You're lifting weights. You're hitting the treadmill. You change your diet. You start eating things with a lot more fiber. And uh, what's, what's the green leaf uh, plant that no one likes to eat but actually does because it's kale? kale. Oh, that stuff is nasty. And there's no more, less, more kale, less bacon, okay? And you also decide, you know what, I'm going to change my, my haircut. So you go to the, uh, to, you, you spend top dollar on going to a new hairstylist or barber, and they work miracles with whatever hair remains. And then you also, in addition, I'm going to go on a shopping spree. I'm going to rack up all my credit cards. I'm going to, I'm going to consult with a fashion consultant. He or she is going to tell me what to buy, and I'm going to rack up those cards and buy all the clothes that I need to make me look like brand new, like I've actually got the latest fashion. So you make all of these various outward changes. You lose the weight. You upgrade the fitness level. Okay, you get new hair. I know this guy doesn't have any hair. Anyhow, let's pretend he does. You get the new clothes, and you got this brand new look. Do you think people notice, if you once look like that, to that, do you think people will notice? Especially those who know you or work with you. Of course, they notice. They notice the changes that have occurred. And they might say, what happened to you? What did you do? Wow. Wow. Or they'll say, you spent how much on yourself? And going, when it, all that debt for this new look? It, yeah. Anyhow, either way, either way, personal change gets people's attention, you see. And by the way, I'm not necessarily advocating that you should should or should not do this. I think it's wise to, to take care of the body for the glory of God, obviously. Um, you know, don't do it for self-centered reasons. Do it for, for God or Christ-centered reasons. But anyway, here's my point. The best, the best kind of change is not outward, but it's actually inward. It happens at the heart level. And biblically, the heart is understood not to be your physical heart, but it is your spiritual heart. And that is sort of the nerve center. That's the headquarters of your will, your emotions, your decision-making. Um, that's where change, the best kind of change, occurs. And that is where, at the heart level, you and I, in cooperation with God the Holy Spirit who lives within you, uh, you are, and I am, to supplement our faith in Jesus to display these characters and these qualities from God. On your sermon outline, by the way, if you want to look at what these qualities uh, from God are that we are to supplement to our faith, I've basically listed them and defined them, but I don't have the, the time today, today to go through each one. But my point is simply, be more obsessed with heart-level fitness than outer-level physical fitness. Be more obsessed with inner change than outer change. And do it first and foremost for Christ to show Him off, show off His character qualities through you so that, remember when I said, change gets people's attention? When people see Jesus in you, they will become more attracted to Christ because they see Christ in you. That's how it works. In fact, this is how you and I and we at Mercy Hill Church, remember that part of the verse, I don't think we have it on the screen. There's a part of that, that passage that we just read. The way in which we can be more effective and more fruitful for the kingdom of God, remember that phrase? Verse 8 is what, where we find that. The way we are more effective and more fruitful for God is when we together increasingly display the character of God in our lives. And more and more people, they see Jesus in us. 
and they see his beauty because there's no one more beautiful than Christ at all. And they see Christ in us and they say, I want what you got. I want the self-control you've got. I want the virtue you've got. I want the brotherly affection that you have. I want all these things. These are good things. They see Christ in us and they say, what's your secret? You say Jesus. You say the gospel. Fact is, if you think about the not yet Christian co-workers and friends and family members that you have in your lives, generally speaking, they will never consider Christianity. They will never get, consider Jesus really unless, unless you give them a reason to. Unless you give them a reason to turn away from being all about themselves. You know, we all struggle with being about ourselves. I'm not trying to blacklist people who are not yet Christians. But you've got to make a strong case for what Christianity offers, all right? And so until they see that living for someone greater than themselves is actually a good, helpful, life-giving thing, they won't consider Christianity. And so they've got to see Christ in us, that it's actually a better step forward for my life, that Christ is helpful to my life and relationships. Here's what I, what I want to boil. No, I actually, I don't, I'm not going to get into this, but anyhow, change is not optional for the Christian. Change is not optional for a Christian. It's not, oh, I might change. No, it is, we are supposed to change. It's commanded, all right? And if you are not changing, this is going to be a little bit hard-hitting. If you are not changing, if there's not been much of any substantial change in 10, 20, 30 years, it's possible you might not be a true Christian. I, I don't know. But that's something you have to, to examine and look at, and I'd be happy to commiserate with you about that. Let's look at number three as we move on. We're going to now talk about amnesia. And number three is simply cure your spiritual amnesia by being continually reminded and re-reminded of gospel-transforming truth. I, I wish I could spend a lot more time on this point. Uh, this is really significant stuff here. But what is amnesia? Amnesia apparently occurs when you bang your head in hockey or in a car accident. Uh, sometimes people are in car accidents and they bang their head. I think that these were the days before airbags. Uh, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s. And you'd bang your head, and in some cases, they don't even know their own name, they don't know their spouse, they don't know their own kids, because that sort of head trauma causes amnesia to occur. In some cases, it can be permanent, I think, but I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me on that. Uh, so amnesia causes you to forget everything, generally. And so we are now going to look at what Peter says about something called spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. And we see this in verses 9, 12, and 13. And let me reread re these for us. Uh, it says, For whoever lacks these qualities, those qualities that we just mentioned, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Okay? So here's, here's the person that Peter is confronting. He's got a person in mind, a Christian in mind. And it is the Christian who says, I'm not changing. I don't see it as a priority. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's annoying. It's personally convicting. I'm too set in my ways. I'm too far along now. I'm okay with who I am. Okay, I love me the way I am. I'm going to stay this way. And at least I'm not as bad as 
that guy over there, or those people in jail over there, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm good enough with me. I'm satisfied. And on and on the justification goes. But Peter is saying here, he's confronting that Christian, and he's saying, what are you saying? <laughs> You're so blind. You're so blind. Not only that, you've got, he doesn't use these words, but this is what he means, spiritual amnesia. You're suffering from spiritual amnesia. In fact, I think we all suffer with spiritual amnesia to some extent. You've forgotten who you are in Christ. You've forgotten all that Christ has done for you when he lived your perfect life for you in your place. He died for your sins on the cross and he uh, rose from the dead three days later. And he did all that to save and to change you. You're forgetting that. You're forgetting Christ. You're forgetting the big picture. What are you doing? Rather, he's saying, be who you are. Don't forget who you are in Christ. And then Peter says to the forgetful, blind Christian, the antidote to amnesia is being reminded. Be reminded again and again and again. It's almost like at this stage, this late stage in Peter's life, he realizes I've got to say the same gospel all the time to the church family. Because why? People forget. We forget stuff very easily. And I think we just get bored very easily in this day and age of technology. There's so much going on with social media and entertainment. And everything's changing so rapid. We just get bored of the same stuff. But we should not. We've got to remind ourselves of these things. Let me leave you with this challenge. And I don't have an analogy beyond the, the amnesia analogy here, but bear with me as I'm bringing this in for a landing here. This is really important stuff. I want to leave you with this challenge so that you and I can work against spiritual amnesia and spiritually settling for the less. Let us not do that. The challenge is simply remind yourself and then re-remind yourself of the gospel, of what Christ has done for you. Keep that in the front of your mind. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself, this is who I am. I'm in Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been saved for Him. I've been transformed by Him. I am beloved by Him. I have this new identity in Christ. And remind yourself of that truth every day in prayer. Remind yourself, in addition, by reading the Bible regularly. Get into that habit. There's good habits. There's bad habits. One of the best possible habits you can have in your life is regularly eating, ingesting God's truth, His nutritional, spiritual truth in the Bible and just make that a priority for you most days. Uh, pray. Add, if prayer is not a regular thing in your life, this is another way in which you remind yourself of all that God has given you, that you need Him, that you're dependent on Him, that you can't change without Him, that you can't live without Him. Further, another place for reminders is where? Good. Church. <laughs> Coming to church on Sundays because we say a lot of the same stuff each and every Sunday, do we not? We talk a lot about the gospel for this reason because we forget. We've got so much going on. Everything is, Netflix is just pulling our attention away from Christ in so many different ways and so many voices from all sides. Coming to, to church reminds us about the big picture, what life is for, why we're here, why we exist. This is a helpful place to get those Reminders. Sometimes there's a, they're annoying, aren't they, from the pastor? I get it. But we need those reminders. And so I'll just leave it with this. You ready for this? Here's the, the final challenge. <laughs> this is, is going to sound really weird, but remind, 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 then rewind. 
okay? It's cheesy. Remind, 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 rewind, okay? And you just keep reminding yourself, reminding yourself for years, for decades, until the day Jesus comes to take you home. That's how you stick with Christ, with His power, and you keep trusting in Him to the very end. It is essential to be reminded very often of the same things because we have nothing without Christ. We have nothing without Christ. No change. Don't, never settle. Never settle. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, God, help us not to get bored of the gospel. May we never get bored of the message of Christ and all that you've done for us. Forgive us for our spiritual amnesia, for getting bored, for forgetting who we are in you and, and letting all these other voices uh, crowd out uh, our thoughts of you and crowd out the gospel and crowd out our desire for change and, and effort to change as we partner with your Holy Spirit within. Lord, may this series be instrumental in us actually making progress to increasingly display your holiness and character in our lives for your glory alone. Lord, mobilize us as a church family to display the character of Christ in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and in our extended families and certainly our own immediate families and households. Use us, mobilize us as missionaries sent to our cities to help reach more and more people for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. We want to spread the love. We want to spread the life. We want to spread the transformation that you provide and make available to us by your great divine power. Lord, we come to the time of reminding ourselves of the table and of the gospel as we partake in communion and just re-energize us uh, with the, the truths of the gospel, remembering it was you, Jesus, alone that saves us, and it's you, Holy Spirit, who changes us, that we have nothing without you. Thank you for this chance to remember you. Through Christ we pray. Amen.